Well, we're going to be uh, starting a, a series here over the next uh, few weeks and uh, pray that the Lord would lead us and direct us as we do that. And we're going to pray as we get started this morning, uh, praying that the Lord would uh, help them in, in their Sunday school practice and our youth class going on and, and pray the Lord would be with us. We've got life development as well, be with us today in our Sunday school. Let's join together in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, I'm so thankful to be here in your presence that you've allowed me to be here another day. And Lord, I'm thankful that I can gather together with those of like-minded faith to lift you up, to worship you, to learn of you. And Lord, I pray that you would move in touch in everything that's happening in this place today. Lord, that your presence would be manifest. Lord, that your spirit would speak to us, that your word would find its mark. Lord, that you would lead and guide in all that we do today, God. We believe you and trust you for what you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, that's what, these papers staring me in the face. That's what I forgot to do. I knew there was something. That's why I was stalling. Um, okay. In a few weeks, uh, starting in January, um, we're going to be starting a new Sunday school series. We did this a few years ago. Um, the Discipleship Project. It's a, um, a curriculum that's put out. And what it does is every, everybody in the whole uh, place from the, the toddler class all the way through the adult class, everyone, uh, will be doing a modified version of the same theme every single week. Um, so that just means we're going to be teaching the same thing just based on age-appropriate level. Uh, there, what that means is you can discuss with your family, your kids, they will have learned the same thing, so you can discuss with them after church, throughout the week. Everyone's kind of on that same page, going through the same thing uh, together. Um, and along with that, there are workbooks, if you would like them. Uh, so this goes along with the material supplements that you can keep. Uh, I should have brought one with me to uh, show you. I have a, a few of them. Uh, and it covers three months of the Sunday school class. And those are $5 for the three months. Um, and so what I have here, uh, before we order them, is I do have a paper in pen, I really don't care about the paper, just make sure I get my pen back. And if you would like to uh, purchase one of those adult guides that will be starting in January, we'll cover January, February, and March, if you can just sign your name, you can decide which is the top, which way, because it's all the same. So you can decide what's the top of the page. If you can just sign your name, and we'll get those ordered, and we will get those books for you. I'm going to start this here. You do not have to have them, so this is not something that's compulsory, just if you would like uh, that workbook to go along with what we'll be doing in Sunday school, uh, then just sign your name and uh, we will get those ordered. So just pass that paper around and when I see you right now, just act like you're taking notes and I'll be thankful for that. So that will be starting in January. We just need to get those ordered. Uh, you don't have to pay for that today. Um, you can save up a dollar a week until then roughly or something like that. So uh, that's, that'll be going around, and that's what that paper's for. If it suddenly appears in front of you, that is for the adult uh, guide for Sunday school. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got something in my throat. Not rotisserie chicken, but uh, something going on in my throat. Uh, the, next, the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at, at, at a topic. Of course, this is the, the season. Uh, the season of giving, the season of all kinds of things taking place. And we're going to be looking at that aspect and, and um, that aspect of giving uh, and some things that that involves in our life. And this week it's not going to get, uh, it's going to be pretty uh, easy for us to comprehend what's taking place. It's not going to get real deep because we're simply looking at what God has given us. And that's what this week is titled, God So Loved That He Gave. And that's this, the next three weeks looking at aspects of giving. And so we're going to start out with a passage that I'm sure probably almost everyone in here could quote, um, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, if you know a Bible verse and you've never been to church, that's probably the Bible verse that you know, whether it's from church or uh, WWE or WWF or whatever it was. Is it Austin 316 back in the day? I don't know. Who knows? Wrestling. 
Where's my wrestling fans out there? Come on now. All right, okay. Several women out there. Okay, all right, good. (laughs) But that first part, for God so loved the world that he gave. And again, uh, you know, it's a shame, really. It's just the way that we are because a lot of verses that are, if you want to, it's hard to put the word common or familiar familiar in front of a uh, scripture because you don't want to say any scripture is common or familiar. But those verses that people generally tend to know, uh, because they are so common, they almost get taken not quite as a cliche, but we kind of gloss over them a little bit. But the reason they are so common is because they are so profound. That verse would not be famous That verse would not be a verse that most people could at least give you a paraphrase of if it wasn't a powerful verse to begin with. Um, They don't, and I don't know what the verse says, but they don't take Deuteronomy uh, 25 and verse 5. Does anyone know that? I don't know it either. But it's probably, we take verses that, that have a powerful concept within them. And like I said, it's a shame that sometimes it becomes so common that we lose the power that is contained in there. Because that is such a powerful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so we're going to be taking a look this week at a few things uh, uh, that, that God gave us. Again, not everything. And as I began uh, putting things down, really, where does that end, the things that God gives us? Where, where really can you put a full stop at the end of that list? But just simply this week as a reminder of what Jesus Christ did with his coming. Of course, we know that this was not just another baby being born. We know that this was not just a good teacher, a wise man that walked this earth. We know that he was more than that, but this divine event that we are in the season of, of celebrating, this divine event that it brought with it so much that had never been experienced on this earth before. We know that it first brought God to us. Oh, there, they got it working. I got quite a few verses today. We know that it it first brought God to us in a way that man had never, or or humankind had never previously experienced before. Mankind had never experienced God in the way that it was about to experience when we find in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23... This is the angel, or or the prophecy, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. When Jesus Christ was born, in those first few seconds even, that, that was an experience that mankind had never experienced before. That was God with us. In fact, I was just reading, uh, it, it was talking about um, uh, the mighty men of David, and, and it mentioned one of them became clothed with the Spirit of God. And you can read in the Old Testament how that the Spirit of God was evident. There's, there's all different ways that God appeared. He appeared in a burning bush. There was angelic appearances. There was people that were clothed with the Spirit. There was people that, that the Spirit moved upon them. But never had there been Emmanuel, God with us. And so it changed everything, even though people did not realize it in that moment, and even those who were aware that something was happening, even all the way to Mary and Joseph themselves, they knew obviously that something was happening here out of their control. I don't think anyone realized the magnitude of what happened when Jesus was born, what God with us really meant. And of course, we have an even greater experience in that it's not, it's not even God with us, But now we know that it's God in us. And as powerful as it would seem to be to be with God, it's even more powerful to have God inside of us. But never before had God been with humanity this way. Never before had He dwelt among His creation this way. His presence had been felt and He'd appeared in various forms, but now God was with us. There had never been Emmanuel before And with that coming of Jesus Christ, with that birth, there were several things that that God gave us. 
And, and there's not really too many of them that you will be like, wow, I never thought of that before. Because, and again, the list is not exhaustive by any means because we could have people get up here and stand up and there's things that God has given you that he hasn't really blessed anybody else with. And there's things that he's done in your life that he hasn't done in other people's life. So there's all kind of things that God has given us. But to highlight a few this morning, we know, first of all, with his coming, that he gave us redemption. He gave us redemption. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And we're going to come back to verse 5 in just a minute. But He came to redeem us who were under the law. And under the law, there were wages that were required of me. There was something that I owed because of the law. There was a weight of a debt that I had to pay. And it wasn't just that I knew that I had to make monthly payments on this. The weight of it was there was a debt that I owed that I knew that I could not repay. You know, you can incur a debt. You know, you owe five bucks to someone. You're like, okay, well, I can, I can take care of that. But, you know, uh, things, things can happen to people or you, think, you hear th- things that happen to people and uh, medical bills can be this way and, and it, you know, it gets so expensive now. And sometimes you hear amounts that people owe if insurance doesn't kick in or if this doesn't happen. And it's almost like it doesn't matter because it's so much. Like it's such a ridiculous amount that you're like, well, I know I can't even pay that so I don't even feel the weight of that because... I know if I work the rest of my life, I'll never repay that. But this was a debt that wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to work it off. I'm going to work this thousand dollars down. I'm going to pay, you know, five bucks a week or whatever it is. No, the, the, the law brought something, a debt with it that, that I knew I could never, ever repay. And Jesus Christ, when he came, he came to redeem that debt. He came to bring redemption into my life. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So he came, he gave himself for us, and the reason he did that so that we could be redeemed from all iniquity. And we could go a number of ways with that verse. First of all, he redeems iniquity, but that word all, it doesn't matter what iniquity it is, God can redeem us from that. In fact, he already has redeemed us. You see, that's the amazing thing, is that while I can sit and wonder if God will, can God do, all of the verses about redemption are past. Comprehend that for a moment. It's not if God can or if He will because He already did. There is not a single person alive or or that will be born that God did not already redeem. Think about that. And so we wonder, can God touch me in my situation? Am I too far gone? No. He already answered that question by His death. And when He died, that answered the question that there's nobody that will ever be too far gone. Now, you have to accept what He did for you, but He already did it. There is nobody that's unredeemable. Why? Because He already did it. It's an accomplished work. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 This is, sorry, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's also an interesting verse. Because when we read that, we think, okay, that's written to the Israelites. He's going to save the Israelites from their sins. But it says, his people. His people. That's you and I too. Did you know you were His before He saved you? He came to save His people. So He has already redeemed you, and He already calls you one of His peeps. There you go. He already calls you one of His people. And He, he, he already did all that. And so, well, we just won't keep going down that road. But there's, in 1 John, he talks about having confidence in our salvation. We should be able to walk confidently in our salvation. That we, He has redeemed us. And we should be able to state that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That I am forgiven. I am redeemed. He has already done those things. I am one of His. 
Because before he ever went to the cross, he was calling us his. Anyway. So he gave redemption to you and I. He also gave a new heritage to you and I. Galatians chapter 4, we read verse 4 and 5, we'll reread it again here, and these are in no particular order of importance of what he gave. But it says, when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. As I began putting some of these scriptures down, it's just, they're such powerful verses. They, they contain so much meaning. Because when Jesus Christ came, he did not just redeem me, but he gave me a new heritage. He adopted me. <laughs> I was not of his. I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. But he came down and redeemed me and said, I want to make him my son. I want to do, a, or a daughter. I want to do a work in his life. This is why the name of Jesus is so important. Notice that he adopts us, but we have the, the option to reject that adoption. We have the option to say, I do not want to take on that name. But that name of Jesus, when it's applied to my life and when I accept that, that does something. It triggers something, a, a progression that now I am a son. That now I'm not ashamed of him. And he is not ashamed of me now. I'm no more a servant. And then if I'm a son, then I'm an heir of God. It triggers something that all I have to do is say, Lord, I don't want to be a servant anymore. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to be a child of sin. I want to be a child of the king. And it triggers this chain reaction that leads with me having an inheritance. He changed my heritage. He changed my lineage. And that's why the name is so important because it's applied to my lineage. When someone is adopted, their name is changed. That's just how it happens. When I'm adopted by the king, my lineage is changed. Just think about that. Whatever the last name was before, your kids, if you've been adopted, your kids will now take on the name of the adoptive parent. It changes your line forever. Whatever your name was before, it's different now. Now think about that spiritually. Think about the last name spiritually that you may have had before. Think about how sin gave you a last name. Whether it was broken, whether it was unforgiven, whether it was hurt, whether it was alcoholic, whether it was whatever. But when Jesus Christ adopts you, he changes that last name. And your lineage, your heritage can be changed forever when I take upon the name of Jesus Christ. He loved me and he gave, he gave me a new heritage. I thought this would be a good one today because there's no Sunday school classes going on, so I can yell and scream and not bother. And tied in with that, we've already mentioned, is because he came to this earth and because he loved us, he gave, he gave an inheritance to me. He gave me an inheritance. I mentioned it a few weeks ago how Paul mentions if, if I had hope in this world only, I would be of all men most miserable. That he would sacrifice his whole life, that he was willing to be stoned and beaten and, and all of these things happened to him. Uh, and, and if the only thing he had it was hope in this earth, he would be all men, of all men most miserable. But I'm thankful that I don't just have his blessing in my life now, but he has given me an inheritance. When he came to this earth, an inheritance was started and made available to you and I. First Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, that means it cannot be, be destroyed. It's undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Like I said, man, some of these verses are familiar and I have used, I've read these before, but man, some of the phrases in there, reserved in heaven for you. <laughs> That is powerful, that there is something in heaven that has my name on it. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant where you had a reservation before? You know, not in Salem. <laughs> Get on your app and reserve at McDonald's. <laughs> but you had to have a reservation 
And maybe it's not happened to you, but you get there and they, they don't have your name or they don't have a recollection or they say, well, we're, we can't get you in right now. What do you say? But I had a reservation. I had a reservation. What does that imply? That means that table is yours. For however many people you said at a particular time, and they, it, it, it becomes a binding contract suddenly because you're now hungry because you've waited until the reserve time to get the food that you wanted, and now it's that time and you can't get the food. That's a bad place to be for someone. But you say, no, that was my table. That was reserved for me. We say, it, 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 I don't know if the image can be conjured, but our name is on that table doesn't matter what else happened. My name should be on that table. It should be mine. It's the same way that, that it says here, Peter says, that there is something reserved in heaven for you. And nothing can take it away. Nothing can destroy it. You won't get there and, and, and Jesus says, oops, I gave it to someone else or all that you've worked for. No, he says it's incorruptible, undefiled. It will not fade away and it is just for you. He gave that to you. It's not just a collective. No, that is an individual promise that there is something waiting for you. And so I want to I want to see what he has in store for me. <laughs> I know that may be a little bit selfish and I just can't live my life saying I want to see what God has laid up for me. No, but I, I want to see what's reserved for me. I want to see what treasures God has laid up for me. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We have obtained an inheritance. I do not want to do anything because he gave that to me. I do not want to squander. I do not want to waste. I do not want to throw away the inheritance that God has given me, that he has paid a price for, that I am now an heir to. I do not want to do anything to cause that to be lost. He gave me an inheritance. He also gave me peace. He gave me peace. Ephesians 2.14 For He is our peace. Now think about that. If He is my peace, I can't find peace anywhere outside of Him. And if Jesus is my peace, there was only a semblance of peace that could be found before Jesus came to this earth. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. We know that is speaking of Jesus Christ, that it was Jesus who broke down the middle wall of partition. When Jesus was born, when he came to this earth, suddenly when his sacrifice was completed, that wall was broken down and there was a peace that mankind can now obtain that was not possible before. Now think about that. Think about the Old Testament. Think about the situations that people were in. Think about those Sunday school stories of Daniel and the lion's den. And Daniel spends the night with the lions. He somehow manages to not freak out. I, I don't know what took place there, but think about the stories like that. And I know that God, we've already mentioned that the Spirit moved upon people, and I know that God can give peace in any situation. But, but there is a peace now that I can live in, that I can walk in, that was not present to all those characters before, to all those people in the Old Testament, because there was still a middle wall of partition. That Although God could reach past that and give peace, those people could not walk in peace like I can every single day. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because I have access to that peace continually. So if the Old Testament characters could walk through those situations, then why do I not walk in peace every day and let some of the things that trouble me, trouble me like they do? Because He came so that I could have peace. I do not want to make his sacrifice in vain. I do not want to make it a, a, of, of nothing because I do not walk in the peace that he gave me. First, uh, Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So just quickly paraphrasing as we go through he made peace by his blood on the cross 
And, and he reconciled. He, he made peace with all things, with himself and all things, whether it was earthly things or heavenly things, spiritual things or temporal things. He made peace with everything. And you, that's me and you, that's Paul pointing out of the book of Colossians, his finger, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. I think it would be, I think it's within the, the, the scope of that verse to say that we're sometime alienated and enemies in your mind because of peace. Now I know he says by wicked works that, that when you do something wrong, your conscience starts bothering you. Because this is also talking about our salvation, that there was no way to get to God until Jesus Christ and He made peace with our salvation. But I believe it's more than just our salvation. But there's been times that I have been alienated by my mind. By a lack of peace in my own mind. The reason that when I came to church was not because... that, I, And I left thinking, wow, that, I, don't know, I don't know what was there for me. A lot of times it wasn't because the Spirit wasn't moving. It wasn't because the word wasn't preached. It wasn't because the keyboardist hit all the wrong notes. It's because my mind had alienated me. You been there before? Your mind has a way of alienating you. And it, 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 your, when your mind is alienated, there's not peace. My mind doesn't ever... No one ever lays awake at night because they're so peaceful. Man, I could not sleep last night because I could not think of anything. My mind was just blank. No, you're awake at night and you're alienated because of confusion and chaos. And we know that's not of God. So my mind does not pull me towards that. In, in, verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven wherefore I Paul made a minister he says if you continue in the faith grounded and settled do not be moved away from the hope of the gospel I would submit to you that part of the hope of the gospel is the peace that he brought to us that when I say the gospel, there is now peace when I speak of salvation, that I can approach God in my unworthiness because He broke down that middle wall of judgment that should come my way, but mercy comes in, but also those things that alienate my mind that say you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, think of all the things that are happening in your life, this situation's out of control. I believe the hope of the gospel can touch that too. And he says, if you continue in your faith grounded and settled. So let's just put that with peace. Grounded in peace. Settled in peace. That word reconciled means he brought back. He brought us back to a state that existed in the Garden of Eden. The word shalom is used in reference to the Garden of Eden. That people still say, to, uh, Jewish people still say, and it simply means peace. When you're walking with God in the cool of the day, that's peace. Obviously, we know that peace didn't happen, but he brought man back to a state that he could now walk with God in that same way. And he made peace with all things, whether in heaven or on earth, if we stay grounded and settled. If you are not moved away. And that phrase, moved away, implies a constant shifting and moving. It is a word of location. That you move location. <laughs> if this is the hope of the gospel, and I'm to be grounded and settled in my peace, he says, do not move away from that. Do not move away from the location of peace. Do, you need to be grounded and settled. Don't move location. What does your mind want to do that's alienated from God? It wants you to move location from the hope of the gospel, which is peace. He wants you to move from that location. And your mind will do anything it can to move you from the hope of the gospel, that peace. It will do anything it can. You know that as well as I do. So what is the combat to that? I must be grounded. 
I must be settled. I've got to dig into peace. I've got to dig into the gospel. I've got to dig into his word so that when my mind tries to alienate me, no, I can say, I know that he can give me peace that passes all understanding. I know that my mind can be transformed. I don't have to have it alienate me. And that's easier said than done, I know. (laughs) You wake up in the middle of the night and your mind just starts going. That's when I need to say, no, the gospel did something in me. And it was more than me speaking in tongues at an altar or me going down under the water in baptism. No, he broke down that wall and I can have peace. He came and he gave me peace. Part of this peace... I. I let you guys get out a little bit earlier the last few weeks, so I'm going to go extra long today. Part of this peace involves also our provision of daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, I, I won't, a lot of times our peace is tied up with what we think we need. Right? Have you ever laid awake and think, man, I, I got this bill, I, this is coming up, and now it's Christmas, and I got to... I just filled the propane and I got to pay that and Christmas is happening and then, you know, you start thinking, that's, I, I, I've been, I, I'm still reading that boring, interesting book. I'm still reading it because it's boring. I'm still reading it because it's interesting. <laughs> but it talks about, there's, there are still, and we just had, um, uh, I don't know if he was a missionary or tourist or whatever he was that got killed on that, by that remote tribe on an island. Um, I don't know if you heard about that in the news. There are still a few remote places in the world where people still live as hunter-gatherers. Now, as much I know we're in deer season, but we are not hunter-gatherers, okay? Anymore, we are not a hunter-gatherer society. But in this book, it's talking about when man starts switching from hunter-gatherer and following the food to settling and producing your own crops. And part of the reason was you know, you begin to look at it is, is that settling and producing your own stuff was pushed on hunter-gatherers and they began to, uh, uh, to, to be eradicated. And, and people thought that the settling and gathering was a better way of life. And this just asked some questions about it. Because it, it, it said the stress, people would say the stress of hunter, hunting-gathering is that when you wake up in the morning, you have to go find your food. You don't have it stored anywhere. You don't have it stored in the cabinet. There's no store to go to. You have to go out and find food for breakfast. And at lunchtime, if there's none left, you have to go out and find food. And for dinner, you have to find food. And if you're a hunter-gatherer, you don't have a good way to store food. That's so you get enough for every single day. Reminds me of what Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. But the problems that come when we settle, when man begins staying in one spot and growing crops and mass producing crops, and this is not just, this is thousands of years ago as man began to do this, all of a sudden things began to change. But they said, although, although they thought the stress was less, it wasn't, it was just different. Because before the stress was, I have to find food for right now. Now the stress was, I have to keep my food, I have to protect my food. That just sounds like life. Now. I don't work to get food today. I work for the bills I'm going to have to pay tomorrow. And I have to protect things. Retirement and all these different things. Now we have a whole new level of stress. and, and, And so our peace becomes tied in with our materialistic goods just because of how the world operates now because that's how we all live. We live with accumulation. We live with storing things. And with storing things comes protection. And when we can't protect what we have or it's under threat, our peace becomes... It's just a vicious cycle. And Jesus says, no, give us this day our daily bread. Now it becomes really difficult to pray that when I see that my life is not based around daily needs. It's not. My life is based around life needs. That's why people ask, that, that, that's why they all, retirement. If I was a hunter-gatherer, retirement? I just need breakfast. That's all I need. 
But see how that all changes? I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just observations. But it becomes hard for me to just concentrate on today because none of the rest of my life ever focuses on today. It's all about the future. Why do you need good grades in school? So you don't get spanked when you get home? That's hunter-gatherer. That's today. Why? For your future. Everything is about ahead. It's not about right now. And Jesus says, take no thought for the morrow, just today. Give me today this daily bread. And so it's a constant struggle with how we are to find that peace. He gave us the promise of His Spirit. John 14, 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm thankful that when he came, and then we know that he ascended, but he left the promise that I am giving you a comforter. I am not leaving you. No, I I was with you this whole time, but I am coming back to be inside of you. I'm thankful that he gave me the Spirit. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that I am not comfortless in this world. He gave hope. He gave me a cough. He gave me hope. Hebrews 6.18 That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. We, he came, and because He came, I can have hope. He gave me hope. Now we understand... It mentions in Hebrews 6 that this hope lies within the veil. We understand that, that this is speaking to the Hebrew people, so it makes the parallel of the temple. But we understand that the veil was not just a physical cloth that hung between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. We understand that the veil was His flesh. It was His body. It is speaking of the man, Jesus Christ. Without His flesh here on earth, Without His flesh coming to this earth, without that divine man coming to this earth, without that happening and His death and that veil being torn, I would not have that hope which I can now have today in my life. If it had all been of flesh, if, if Jesus would have been all flesh, then I could not have had hope. But it had to be fully man and fully God. It had to be the thing that is impossible, divine flesh, and yet somehow God managed it. This was the problem that Israel had with the Messiah, is they believed that he was uh, of God, but was not God. That's why when they thought about the Messiah, they thought of temporal things, because they thought he would be a man sent of God. They believed that he would provide a physical deliverance. That's why they were disappointed. That's why they could end up crucifying him because they thought he would come to deliver them from their physical situation, which was captivity to the Romans at that point. But when he came, they did not understand that he was not of God, but that he was God. And he was not sent just to physically deliver them, but to spiritually deliver them and give them real true hope. Because we know that hope just in this life is not enough. But I must have spiritual hope. I must have my mind renewed. I must have that redemption. I must have that salvation which can only come from God. And then he left us the ultimate hope. John 14, 1-3 Let not your heart be troubled. There's peace again. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, they didn't, they didn't have the parallel that he was God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may also be. That is the ultimate hope. That without Jesus coming to this earth, I would have no hope of being where He is. I would have no hope of eternity. I would have no hope that there is something better. That there is something greater. That there is a place with no sickness, no tears, no sorrow, no death. Without Him coming and giving that hope, I would would be of all men most miserable. I'm thankful for that hope that I have today. I'm thankful for the hope not just of my salvation now, but that he left. And if he left, he's coming back again. God came and he gave. But as we finish up this morning, I think it's important for us as we head into the next few weeks to look at his motivation also. He came and gave, but why? Why did he give? 
And this verse states it very plainly. God so loved, He gave. He so loved, He gave. The whole reason that we have any of those things that I've mentioned this morning, as well as a list that I don't know where it would end of things that God has given us, that He has blessed us with, that list that has nothing to do with what I have ever done, anything that I could ever hope to become, anything like that, He didn't, it's not about potential, it's not anything. It comes down to one simple motivating factor, is that He loved. That's why He gave. He loved. He loved so much that He gave. Something stirred inside of Him. And I know that He is a Spirit, and so when we speak about God, it is just in terms so that we can understand, but something stirred inside of Him. Something when he thought of you and I. Something when he thought of humanity lost, that once had peace, that once had fellowship, that once walked with him in the cool of the day, and now he saw what man had become. Something stirred inside of him. And the only response that was fitting to what he felt, the only thing that he could do was give. It was the only external outlet that would come close to defining what was happening. And again, I know it's God, but so we can understand what was happening internally. What was happening in God, the the emotions, what was taking place. The only thing that could truly define His love, the only external thing He could do was give. The fruit of His love was giving. The fruit of His love was not creation. The fruit of His love was not the breath of life. The fruit of His love was giving. By its very nature, love cannot be passive. If it's passive, is it really love? It is the very nature of love to give back and not hold anything back. That is the nature of love. And He gave His only That's a singular, one of a kind. The only one in his possession. Think about the most prized possession that you have. Think about something that is only. How many of you have something that it's the only? I have something that's the only. It's in my office. Uh, I thought it was lost for years, and I found it one time. Uh, I went back to Scotland, and this is like 10 years at least probably longer than that and I knew I had this thing and I'd asked my parents to look for it and they couldn't find it but I I knew I still had it so I went where I thought I last had it and it was right there amazingly I found it but it is uh one time when I was about 15 or 16 I was in London with some people and uh we went to the the hard rock cafe as you do in London and uh, we're standing in line waiting forever. And I'm standing there right at the front of the line. And I look up, and it's about this close as me to the front row. My, the soccer team I supported was sitting right there. The whole soccer team was right there. It's like, oh my goodness. I mean, and, and then they sat us down. They took us to a seat. And I kid you not, it was back to back sitting like this, and right here was Richard Goff, my favorite player. Number four, that's why I wore number four. This was the guy, he was a defender, and there's, he, his head would get all bloodied, and he'd put a bandage on and come back out. That's Richard Goff sitting right there. I mean, I needed a diaper, I thought I was going to wet my pants, for sure. And all I had, I was like, what? I mean, I was just... It's just like, man, what in the world? And so all I had was a postcard. So I grabbed this postcard, and I was like, i got to get their autographs. So I start passing it around, and in my office, I have that postcard, and it's got all their autographs. Now, it has been, uh, I, I work on it every so often, because I have no idea what they say. <laughs> I have no idea whose autograph is whose, and if you've seen me sign my name, no one know my name either. But I've tried to figure out, and I, I've got a piece of paper, I don't write on the postcard, but on a piece of paper behind it, I write down who's Andy Gorham's on there, the best goalkeeper ever, man, phenomenal. Ian Durant, 
Ian Ferguson, Paul Gascoigne. Oh, man. It's one of a kind. And in fact, on the one side, it has, it's, it's like a reddish sort of thumbprint thing. And it's from one of the players, his food. That he had food on his hand. And when he grabbed it, there's a th- I've got a fingerprint of someone I don't know, but I know is famous. It's the only one of its kind. <laughs> I know it's worth something to someone. <laughs> but it's got the story attached to it. That I walk in, I'm standing there looking at people and don't even realize until I actually look at them and it's, my, it's just the whole thing. It's the one of its kind. It's something that is singular. That, that it has no, there's no value to it. Like, I guess there probably is an amount you could pay me that I'd give it to you. And probably, you can try me. After church, come find me and we'll agree to a price. But it's not something that I really, it's, it's, just something I have that you don't care about. You don't care about Richard Goff, even though you should. You should base your, your life after it. No. <laughs> but I'll never get that again. Never. Those players will never be together like that again. In Hard Rock Cafe, and I'll never be 16 again. Thank the Lord. Never happen again. It can never be regained. That's what this implies, is that he gave something that was singular the only one in his possession, it could never be regained, never found again. And he gave that because of his love. He gave the thing that it wasn't just the most valuable as we would apply value to it, but it was the only one. He couldn't get it back again. And the fact that he has already given his son for you, his only singular son for you, Suddenly, it becomes easier to believe that if he gave me that, then all the other stuff is nothing compared to that. If he already gave the thing that was the only one of its kind, if he already gave his, his postcard from London with the Rangers team signature on it, what is healing to give to you? What is peace to give to you? What is deliverance to give to you? No, if he already gave that, all the rest of that, I should accept that he is willing to give that too. He is willing to forgive. He is willing to redeem, heal, give me purpose, peace, and hope because he already gave his son. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here is love. Not that you love God. If I wanted to find love, I do not look at you to say, that person loving God is what love is. No, I look at God loving me because I know that God deserves all the love that I can give him. But I, I didn't deserve anything when he loved me, and yet he still did. That is the example of love. Not, not my standing in worship, although I should do all those things, although I should try to return love. Me standing in worship is not the best expression of love. No, the best expression of love is that he sent his son to die for me, that he gave for me. Herein also denotes a fixed position. Herein is love. That His Son being given for me is a marker. It is a guidepost which is unmovable. That that should be the basis for how much God loves me. Not what I need right now. Not what I think should be happening. Not that He didn't come through here like I thought He would. No, the basis for if He loves me, the fixed marker is that He already sent Jesus to die for me. That's where I base whether He loves me or not. And I know i got to finish Him. Our love for Him and His love for us is presented as a sharp contrast. That His love for me and my love for Him are two incomparable things really. Because I love Him because He first loved me. I love Him because He's what He's done for me. I love Him because He saved me. But He loved me when I didn't care about Him. We love Him because while we were yet sinners, He died. We love Him because He came to me. We love Him because of where He brought me from and brought me out. But He loved me just because. And I finished, I got a few verses here, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. The crowd is gathering. And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. I'm sorry this is a few verses, but I couldn't cut any of them out. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Before you met God, you walked according to the devil is what it says. 
We'll just get real simple here. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all of our conversation or conduct in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. That We think real bad stuff. That just means I did what I wanted to before I met God. I got up when I wanted to. I came to church when I wanted to. I didn't come to church. When I, whatever my mind said to do, I did it. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, that means that we had no life from God, that we didn't care about God, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The reason that he loves you and I so much is because you are his workmanship. He gave because he loved, and the reason that he loved is because you are his workmanship. As many of the faults and failures and things that you see, when God looks down, he sees his workmanship. And it does something inside of him. I don't know if you've ever made anything. It could have been a piece of junk that no one else cares about. But remember when you first made something? You're like, I'm going to take these three pieces of wood and I'm going to make a hope chest out of it. And you wouldn't stand on it if your life depended on it. (laughs) But you were so proud of it. Why? Because you made it. And that's how God looks at you. He looks down and he doesn't see the faults and the failures and all the things that should... No, he sees his workmanship. And he sees that and he loves you. And because he loved you, he gave to you. He gave to me. He loves you like no one else ever could love you. Why? Because no one else created you. Only God created you. He treasures you. He cherishes you. And this is the love that I can experience in my life every day. This is the love that I share should experience every day because he gave in my life for God so loved the world that he gave so as we enter this time as we stand this morning as we enter this time this season as we think about his coming let us not forget why he came yes there's salvation yes there's redemption there's hope there's peace but the ultimate motivating factor of why we even have the words Merry Christmas up there is because He loved you so much. And I know it's not profound. I know it's not. No, but sometimes we need reminded. And His love is going to be the basis for next week when I look at my life. (laughs) The only response that He could have for His love was to give for you. I think we should just thank Him for the gift that He gave us this morning. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for everything that you...